Well, uh, several months ago, some friends of mine invited my wife and I over to play a game. And uh, it was a game we'd never played before. And uh, so our first time to get there, we start getting the instructions. And the game is called Ticket to Ride. And uh, the goal is to build little trains and connect to destinations. And there's a couple different ways to get points. And, and so he's explaining all of this to us. And then, and then he gives us this warning at the end of his explanation. He says, hey, I just want to let you know, uh, my wife has never lost this game. She kills me every single time. Uh, so just be ready for a whooping. And, I, and after he said that, I, I, you know, I get nervous and I get planning because I'm competitive. And, uh, and so I'm sitting there kind of getting my strategy together of where I'm going to connect and stuff. And, and, uh, and we go through the game, we dice rolls and we play and, and we get to the end of it. And my wife and I won. We beat both of them right? That was great. And, uh, and my buddy uh, once again got last behind his wife. And, uh, and so I, I asked him a question. I said, hey, you know, what, what is your strategy for playing this game? And he said, he says, my goal is to build the longest train. And I said, do you get points for building the longest train? He says, yeah, yeah, you get 10 points for building the longest train. And I said, okay, well, can you get more points by uh, doing some other things during the game? He's like, yeah, you can get other points doing other stuff. I'm just like, well, bro, it seems like it would be reasonable to change your strategy so that you could win the game, right? And he's like, yeah, whatever. And, but it, I mean, it's sad and a bit funny when a guy uh, misses the point of a game. But I tell you what, it is infinitely worse when you miss the point of life. We're looking at Romans chapter 16 and, and we're flash forwarding to the end of the book. Uh, we're going to go back and next week and look at chapter 15. But at the close of of Romans chapter 16, we get to see Paul's way that he ends this book. And what's interesting, if you just kind of glance over it, you can see that there's a lot of names listed. Uh, Just looking in verses 7 through 10 of chapter 16, you say, it says, greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen, uh, verse 8, greet Amphilitus, uh, greet Urbanus, a great name, Uh, and Stychus, greet Apollos. And, and you see a lot of, a lot of names listed. And, uh, but what's interesting is that Martin Luther said of the book of Romans, he says this, every Christian should commit this book to his heart. In other words, every Christian should memorize every word of this book. I mean, this book brought Martin Luther to faith in Christ and, and started the movement of the Reformation. And, and, and this book has been influential in countless Christian lives throughout history. And, and, and he says, hey, yeah, every Christian should commit this to memory. So good luck. And, but another commentator uh, writing on this particular section that we're looking at this morning says this, the list of names in this section doesn't make for interesting reading for most students of Romans, Um, which brings us into attention. Uh, If it's uninteresting, yet we should really take it to heart. Uh, What is he doing here? What's, What's Paul's purpose in writing this? And I think what's great about this last section is that we get to see the practical implications of his instruction in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 was the description that, hey, we are a body of Christ and each one of us has different roles, different functions. And, and this is the process in Romans chapter 16 in which we see that play out. We get to see real people in real lives really living their life for the purposes of God in a real practical way. And we get a lot of lists of names. We get a little bit of instruction. We get a little bit of a doxology at the end. 
But what I want us to look at in particular is how these people talk about one another, how these people interact with one another, and what these people value. I ran track in college, and one of the summers, um, I went and spent some time in, in, uh, in Colorado. And my coach had organized for me to get some time with some guys that ran at the University of Colorado. And so I go and I spend some time with those guys, and those guys were uh, extremely talented athletes. And so we go out on a run, and we're going out on a, a 15-mile run, and uh, it's intense, and it's at 5,000 feet, and it's going to climb to 6,000 feet. And, and so I get with these guys that are much more talented than me, uh, a lot further along in their development than I was. And so we start the run, and they start the run by just kind of talking and joking and hanging out and just having a good time. And we get a little bit further into it and they start picking up the pace and they go from 6.30 to 6.15 pace. And so I'm breathing a lot harder. And, and then they start continually picking up the pace, picking up the, picking up the pace. And then they turn around and start heading back, right? And so I'm going, oh my gosh. And so I, I do the best I can to keep up with these guys who are much more talented, a lot further down the road, running a lot faster. And at a point I just had, kind of had to stop and, and I was in awe of the talent that these guys had, their dedication and, and the giftings that they had. But also I went and just hung out with them at their house. Um, and most all of them all lived together and they all loved one another and enjoyed one another. So it's so fun to watch these guys train hard together and then just hang out with them and kind of play video games and just, just be with them. And I got to see how these guys who were very successful at this sport trained and loved one another. And what we get in this moment is a chance to peer in on what a biblical community looks like. And regardless of what you think about Paul, you have to say this of him. He is one of the most influential men who has ever lived on the earth. Nations have been rising and falling based on the words that this man has written throughout history. And we have to say that this last section in Romans, are, they're, they're not just whims of a normal guy. This man truly changed cultures. It says in Acts chapter 17, verse six, when Paul and his entourage were going to Thessalonica, it was said this of them, these men who have upset the world have come here also. You see, when Paul and his group of people traveled to a city, it wasn't just that they were going to share a couple messages. There were riots around him. Like he changed the world based on the words that he spoke. He changed cultures he didn't conform to culture. He changed the cultures in which he went. And by God's grace, I hope that we also can be a people that builds a community that changes culture, that stands in the gap. And when the tides of change are coming to us, we will stand firm by the word of God. How do you become a culture like that? How do you be a people like that? We get an inroad into what that looks like, what they value, what they think about, the way they talk to one another. And the first emphasis that Paul lays out in this that I would emphasize is this, that Paul celebrates the people around him. And he celebrates them um, in three particular ways that we're going to look at. Um, I'm not going to read the entire section to you. I'd be reading a lot of names. It's like reading the Greek phone book. Um, but I'm just going to emphasize and point out a couple of things that we see in this. Um, we see at the beginning of this, uh, there's Phoebe that he lists. She was the letter carrier. But we see it within this as an overview, we see a, a, a huge diversity in the types of people he is writing to. We see at least nine different women. We see five different home churches listed. 
If you look at the beginning of the book of Romans in chapter 1, verse 7, I believe, it says that this book is written or this letter is written to the uh, church or the saints, the saints in particular in Rome. And so there wasn't one in particular community of believers. It was a group of believers all gathering together, a bunch of different home churches all listening or receiving this letter. We see that the majority of the people receiving this or that he talks about listed um, are Gentiles, although there are a few Jews. He calls them his kinsmen. We also see this interesting note um, that the majority of the people that are part of this church community were either slaves or former slaves. Judging by their names, um, you can figure out the roots of these people. Another thing that I don't have listed there is that you see a people in a variety of different life stages. Uh, You see some married couples. You see some singles. You see some people that that are in a variety of different life stages. And I think this is encouraging because the church of Rome or the, the people ministering to the body in the city of Rome were all in different places. And so are you. You're all in different life stages. You're all in different places. But the reality is you can make a dramatic impact for the kingdom of God, no matter where you are, just where you are. We also see this, not only the demographics, um, we also see um, a second piece and that's differing roles. Some people are letter carriers. Phoebe, the first person listed, uh, she is the one that carried the letter of, the, of Romans, our book of Romans, to these people. We also see there's many home church leaders. We've got home church leaders here at Grace that lead different gatherings of groups during the week. You also see that there's some people that are missionaries. Paul lists some people that were in prison along with him during uh, some of his missionary journeys. We also see that there's a lot of these people that are just normal ordinary people. The vast majority of people listed in this, we have no reference of them anywhere else in scripture or anywhere else in most historical writings. A couple of them are listed in other parts of scripture. Uh, one person, uh, they, they said, uh, the commentary I read said he might be listed in one of the catacombs, but we don't know. And, but the, here's the truth. Most of them weren't superstars. You see, we live in a day in a culture where we celebrate the celebrity. You know, we, we want people to be famous and we'll celebrate their fame for their athleticism or for their talents, for their music ability, for their beauty, for whatever skill that they have. And we'll, we'll pull them in front of culture and we celebrate the celebrity. And the truth is, we often see that in the church. But the vast majority of these people, they aren't celebrities. They're normal, everyday people just like us. And Paul takes this moment to highlight them. And I think that's so encouraging probably to these people. You see, there is a variety, there's a diversity of individuals, but Paul is emphasizing the necessity of each individual. And the truth is, every one of us needs this, to be recognized. You see, and I think in this moment, what Paul is doing is something that, um, honestly, as a business leader or a leader of people, we should do more regularly. Is that he takes this moment to recognize individuals for their individual contributions. He takes, in verse 3, he says, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in the Lord. Verse 5, he says, greet um, Epaphetatus, my beloved, the first convert from Asia. Greet Mary, who's working hard with you. He, he takes this moment to look at these individuals that are making an impact and lift them up. Um, I read an article in Harvard Business Review, and uh, it, it said, it had this. It basically um, surveyed employees in 
different businesses and ask them this question. Um, since the economy's down and we don't have a lot of money to build incentive into people, what would you like from your employers? If you can't get financial benefit, what, what, what would you want? And starting from the bottom, um, working our way up, a lot of people just didn't know. Uh, they were confused by the question. Uh, some people said nothing. They're, they're completely unmotivated by anything. That's 1%. Um, 5% of the employees, all the way to the right, uh, said something else than what you're listing. Um, 0% said flexible work schedule or time. 10%, still a large or a small percentage, said off-site team building or social events. So uh, don't put your money into the barbecue and getting everyone you know, to the beach or something like that. Like, I don't want to do that. Giving employees increased responsibilities, that was somewhat effective. Regular communication with the staff, that was the largest piece. Like, if they would just talk to me, that would be great. Um, But the one that was highlighted above all was this. Frequent recognition of accomplishments. More than anything else, more than time off, more than something else that is unlisted here, more than anything else, I would just like them to recognize my contributions to the company, my contributions to to these people. And I think it's so telling and so beautiful that, that Paul says to each one of these people, as, as many as he can remember, as many as, as he had contact with, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your contribution to this mission, to this church of Rome. Thank you. And not only do, do people need to be recognized, let's just be honest, we need people. And I think what's interesting, what, what I really like about what Paul does in this moment is that, is that he calls people, he thanks them for their individual contributions, and he calls them by such tender names. He says to some that they are my beloved. He says to others, they suffered with me. Others, that they've suffered with you. They're my fellow prisoners. They're my kinsmen. He says, he says I need people. And I think what what's, would have been encouraging to these people receiving this letter is, first of all, to just hear their name, to be known and validated for their contribution. But I think it's also very encouraging for Paul to think about all the people that are on the same mission that he is, that are working to the same direction that he is, and to list all of these different names. You realize in this list, I'm not going to say every name, because there are over 40 different individuals or groups of people that Paul lists. And how encouraging is that? To have over 40 different people or groups of individuals that are on the same mission that you are, going the same direction that you are. But also, there's a second reality I think that Paul points out, and it's this, that we need people because people can do what we can't. You see, Paul was a missionary. He was a church planter. And so he would go to Ephesus. He would get the church going. He would get energy around it. And then he'd bail. He'd go to the next church. He'd get the church of Thessalonica going and planted. Then he'd go to to Philippi and he'd get that church going. And he would organize individuals to keep the mission going as he went on to the next thing. And, And what he needed were people to stay there and continue the work because he had more places to go and more things to do, right? And so what's, and interestingly in for Rome, he had actually never been to the church And so more than anything, he needed people at the church to be faithful and to continue to build if he was going to be gone. You see, he needed people to go where he couldn't to do what he couldn't. You see, we need people. You would never want me on a Sunday morning to grace you with my musical ability. It would would ruin everyone's time here, right? Um, 
The truth is, although I have two kids that I love, um, I'm not great in children's ministry. You wouldn't want me wrestling around with your little kid for long periods of time. I'd get frustrated, right? Um, some of you, uh, I work with teenagers. I'm, I'm a youth pastor here. Some of you would be like, I don't ever want to do that at all. And, and for me, it's easy. I, I love doing that. We've got individuals here that every Sunday they faithfully sit there and they work on the sound system and they get the slides going. They carry on those pieces. Anyone go to the barbecue the other week? We have faithful deacons who have served and cooked lots of stinking hamburgers for us to love. See, the reality is we wouldn't have this moment without all of these people pouring in and making us better, serving us. You see, the, the vast majority of these people are unknowns to individuals. But Paul says, no, no, they're important to me. And the last piece that Paul recognizes in this, not only do we need people, he says there's a unity within all of us. Read with me in, uh, in verse 8 through 13. It says, greet Ampelatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Verse 10, greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. And those are of the household of Aristobus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Rufus, verse 13, a choice man in the Lord and his mother and mine. See, there's a unity that all these people have. You know what the unity is? They're all in Christ. You see, this is the, the unity that goes deeper than anything else. They've got one father. We've got one father, God. And we are all individual members of the body and so needed. And we've got one dad that we're all working for and with. And he is the goal. He's the direction. There is a unity that Paul points out over and over and over again. Why do you think he does that? One of them, I think, is a real practical reason. Um, Rome was a large metropolitan city, and it's very possible that these people didn't all know one another. There were different home churches. There were different gatherings of individuals. So it's very possible that these people didn't all know one another. But I think a second piece that was, that was so needed is that we need to be reminded of this, that we're on the same team. We're going the same direction if we are truly following God. And when you see people that are going the same direction as you're going, that are helping to serve you, helping to make you better and suffering and sacrificing for the greater good, it is so powerful to watch. And you are so thankful to see it. I saw this play out very practically when I, uh, I watched a, a YouTube video of Emmett Smith um, during his award ceremony. Um, it showed the football clip of him actually breaking the record for rushing yards. He played for the Dallas Cowboys, if you don't know who Emmett Smith is. And he broke the rushing record. And it was so amazing to watch this guy, after he'd broken the rushing record, he runs to the sideline to a, a man who had on earphones, and his name was Daryl Johnston. He runs to Johnston, and he puts his arms around him, and he starts crying. I mean, Daryl Johnson was, was calling the game, and so he's got a, you know, the mic on. And so you hear Emmett Smith weeping into the mic saying, thank you, I couldn't have done this without you. And as the video continues, it shows Emmett Smith at his induction into the Hall of Fame. And as he's standing there in front of the crowd, there comes a, a moment when the entire crowd just starts chanting out, Moose, Moose. That was his nickname, Daryl Johnson's nickname. And Emmett Smith kind of takes this moment. He's a sweaty mess. It's kind of funny. So he's patting himself. And, and then he says, Daryl Johnson, stand up. And this older man, gray hair, 
stands up slowly and he says, Daryl Johnson, thank you so much for what you've done for me. And then he addresses the crowd. He says, people don't know how hard it is that the sacrifice that it takes to, to be a part of our system and to do what we do as a fullback. And he looks back at Daryl and he says, he says, you took care of me like you were taking care of your own brother. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And as I watched that, I said, that is what Christian community should be. We see the value in one another. And, and I had never, I've never seen Daryl Johnston. Like I personally didn't know him and I never watched him play. Some of you might have. I didn't know him until this moment was recognized by Emmett. And I tell you what, there's a lot of people that are unknown, but known by God. And the truth is we need people. We celebrate our diversity. And the reality is we celebrate our necessity. We need each one working in their different parts and we celebrate the unity. We are going in the same direction. For me, the first time I really saw this play out when, is when I was doing, um, leading the first mission trip that I ever led uh, to the Houston Project. And there were several adult families that were there. There were some college students. There were some um, youth that were there. And the reality is we needed all of them. Um, but something happened midway through the trip. Um, I got sick and exhausted and I just, I couldn't be up in the way that I normally was. And I couldn't lead in the way that I normally was. And, and so there came a point when, when I talked to one of the, um, the dads who was on the trip and, he, and I said, hey, I just, I need your help. And he said, here's the great thing about my wife. He says, if you picture ministry like a big wall blocking back the water, she's one that just puts her hand in whatever hole is there and just fills in what's lacking. And I said, that is so right, and that is so needed. And we needed everyone there. Um, I was so exhausted. Uh, there, we also had a bunch of junior high kids on the trip, and um, they were supposed to care on and love these kids during a VBS and run around crazy. It was, it was kind of awkward, uh, honestly, with some of these kids on the trip, because um, we played... Uh, um, Musical chairs, right? And, and all of the group was cheering on this one of our kids to win musical chairs. It was hilarious. And I'm like, okay, you can't beat the little kid in VBS. So like, that's not the goal. Um, so, so there was some challenges that we had to walk through, but, but they were so needed because they had the energy to run and love on these kids. And some of the adults, we needed them to just vision and direction and help carry all the pieces. We so needed everyone so that we would all win. And that's what the body of Christ is. Each one carries their piece. But here's the truth. In every community, if you're in a community long enough, there will arise conflict. Whenever you get a couple people in a room together, just give them enough time and there will come conflict. And the truth is there are some people in the group that we need to correct. Um, if you want to build a community that changes culture, yeah, we celebrate one another. We stroke. We say, you are doing a great job. That's the stroke. But there's also some people that you've just got to correct. And everyone knows this who's been in a family, right? If you've got brothers and sisters, you know, conflict will come. Um, my wife sent me a text a little while ago. And uh, I have a two-year-old daughter and an eight-month-old son. He's right over there. And she texted me. She said, your daughter got a metal spoon and beat your son on the back of the head. And I said, oh great, we've entered a whole new, whole new realm, right? Um, 
And see, some conflict comes from immaturity, right? You understand with children, you've got to train them up. You've got to help teach them a little bit differently. So, so some conflict comes from just simple immaturity. And the truth is, within the body of Christ, some conflict comes because of immaturity. When I first started working here at Grace, I worked under the previous youth pastor. His name is Zach Nigliazzo, And he, it was great. But honestly, I was a bit immature, and there came a point when there was conflict um, developing between the two of us, and it was so great. He, he pulled me aside, and he sat me down, and he said to me, he said, hey, we're, we're experiencing friction, some frustration. What's going on? And what I realized in that moment is, is the problem wasn't him. The problem was me. The problem was I was being immature. I was trying to push some agendas that weren't primary. They weren't the, the main goal. It, it, was, it was on me. And I was so thankful that he came to me and he brought correction in a gentle, humble, good way. And the reality is within the body of Christ, sometimes you've got to bring correction to someone because there's just an immaturity there. But what Paul's addressing in this particular section goes beyond that. It goes beyond just a correction of of people because of, of the normal conflict that relationships bring. This conflict is over doctrine and over essential truth. Read with me in a... Chapter 16, verse 17 through 20. It says this, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of the Lord, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached has been reached to all, therefore I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Within the church community, sometimes there's people that come in and their goal isn't godly, it's personal. Paul said this in in Acts chapter 20. Um, After he had planted the church of Ephesus and kind of left, he writes this back to them. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. The Bible describes um, people within the church community in three different ways. He says there are shepherds, there are sheep, and there are wolves. And sometimes sheep are obstinate and... um, dumb and, and don't know the right way to go. And I've been there and we've all been there when, when as a genuine believer in God, we're not making the right decisions. And we come along sheep and we love sheep. We care for sheep. We help sheep go in the right direction. Sheep are notoriously dumb animals. You can lead them to water and if they can't see it, they will die of thirst. So, so that's us, that's me, that's you, that's us. Um, so you care for sheep but sometimes wolves try to come in and their goal isn't to love and care for the sheep. Their goal is to take the sheep away and lead them in a different direction. And the issue that Paul is warning these people of um, is he's saying, look, there's going to be people that come in and, and you've got to look out for them. You've got to keep your eye on these people because their goal is to distort the truth and take people in a different direction. And this issue is, is really on essential doctrine. It's, it's doctrine of, of the deity of Christ. It's that Jesus is the only way. 
There's some very popular pastors right now of really big churches that, that are denying the reality of God's judgment and the reality of hell. And, and if people that are buying into those ideas are coming into our community, there is a correction that, that needs to take place. And one of the things that I love about being part of this community is that we've got a group of elders and pastors that love Jesus and love you. And in a gentle, tender way, they will bring correction. And most of the time, most issues are, are, are an issue of preference or, or a small issue. But, but if someone is standing up pushing an agenda, there comes a moment when, when a good shepherd protects the sheep from the wolves. This past semester, there were some guys that came and went over to the college class and they stood up and tried to take over the moment. Um, And Matt Morton stood up and he said, look, you're not going to have a platform here to do what you're doing. This is not the way to go about it. And we warned the staff of breakaway and the guys did the same thing over a breakaway, tried to. The reality is sometimes there are people that come in that try to stop the work of God. And his instruction to them is when these people come in and you can't reason with them, our response is to turn them away. That's a last step. That's a last resort. That's, that's, that's along the road. And if you have any more questions about that, you can talk to Brian Fisher when he comes back. Um, um, but if you love the sheep, you protect them. You protect them. And there are some people that you, you, you got to protect them from. But the last piece, and, I, and I, love, I love what Paul does this in this moment, is, is that he talks about the stroking. Like, this, this is how we love one another. This is how we, how we honor one another. We celebrate each other. We correct one another. We bring genuine correction out of love so that we can all grow and we can all flourish. And the last piece that he does, and this is what I love, he points everyone upward and outward. Read with me in verse 25. He says this, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now has been manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be glory forever. Amen. He does two things in this last moment that I just want to focus on and, and emphasize is that he takes a moment to focus everyone on the greater mission. In college, uh, my coach, before every season, he would bring us into his office, he would sit us down, and he would say, Okay, what are your goals for this year? What do you want to accomplish? And this is a great kind of business practice or life practice. If you read any self-help books or whatever, they'll often tell you like, hey, sit down and figure out what direction you want to go and, and plan out your life accordingly. So we would always start with the end goal and work our way backwards. And this moment, Paul says, okay, if we're going to be a community that changes culture, that is effective for the cause of Christ, here's what we do. We keep our eye on the goal and we run towards that goal. Um, illustration used by, uh, by someone, someone else a little while ago said this, and I thought it was a great picture of it. He says, he says we're all Aggies, and he says, we're, you know, the, the tradition of A&M is, uh, is the 12th man, right? And he said, the, the tradition of the 12th man is, is that if one person is needed, you're going to wave your towel, and, uh, and if the football team needs you, you're going to go out onto the field, right? 
And, uh, and just think for a moment if that actually happened, right? Like you're at the game and, and you're there and you're waving your towel. Woo, I'm here. I'm the 12th man. I'll be there. And, and they said, hey, your number's up. And, and you're, like, you're like, me? And, and they're like, yeah, you're like, you, you come on down. And, and you get down there and they put some pads on you and they, they kind of dress you up. They put the helmet on. It's a little bit big and awkward, but you're feeling good. You're like, I, I got this. And, 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 and then they say, okay, um, we need you on the field. And, and you're like, this is just nuts. And, and they're like, and like, just go. And, and you're like, okay. And, and you run out onto the field and, and through some crazy circumstances, the ball gets knocked out and, and you run and you see the football on the ground and, and you run to that ball and you pick it up. And then you just see open daylight ahead of you. And you tuck that ball and you start running. What would happen You'd be like, this is, cra- this is, I know, it's imaginary, but just imagine if, if this happened and, and you run with all of your energy. And I'll tell you what, even though you are out of shape and not prepared for this, suddenly as you see that goal drawing near, you, you're gonna, your knees are going to drive higher. You're going to be more excited. You're going to say to yourself, I'm going to score a touchdown at A&M. This is going to be my name. And, 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 and everything is builded as you see that goal line coming closer You'll run faster because you see that you are part of a team, you are needed, and you can make points on the board. And when you see the goal line clearly, you run quickly and fast. And if that happened, that would be amazing, right? And here's what Paul is doing in this moment. He's saying, look, I want you to look two places. I want you to look up towards the goal. He says, I want you to look toward Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the alpha and the omega, the one who has set this whole thing in motion, the direction this whole thing is headed. I want you to look toward our king. And then as you look to our king, I want you to do the second thing. I want you to look out to them. You see, he says, we've got this mystery We've got the gospel. We've got the good news that God will save anyone and everyone through one, that man, Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to know him, to focus on him, the one this whole thing is headed towards and the great news that he came to die for you and for me. And I want you to take this mystery, this message that was not known in ages past, and I want you to come and you declare it to the nations. A community that changes the world is one that loves one another because we celebrate each other. We correct each other because we're not all perfect, but by God's grace, we are being perfected. And we are ones with one great goal, bringing everyone and anyone to know the great king that we serve. Missionary said this, we're a bunch of nobodies telling everybody about somebody who will save anybody and we bring everyone to him. That's the goal. And as you think about the book of Romans and you think about your role within it, I hope you see the goal and you charge headlong because it's the greatest mystery and the greatest mission that you get to be a part of. I give you three applications in closing. First one is this. People were important to Paul. They should be important to us. Over 40 different names and groups of people listed, people were extremely important to Paul. You know what's going to last for eternity? Only two things. The word of God, the Bible in your hand, and the souls of men, the person sitting next to you. Everything else will vanish away. Who are your men? Who are your women? As my friend Stuart Sanders always says. Who are your men? Who are your women? 
Secondly, I would tell you this, most work of the Lord is largely unknown to the world, but known to God. I loved watching that, that video of Emmett Smith talking about a guy that I didn't personally know because I said, I think that in a small way is going to be what heaven's like. There's going to be lots of people that have worked hard, that, that suffered well for the sake of the gospel. And Jesus is going to point them out with tears in his eyes, celebrating the life that they lived and all glory goes to him. I think we are going to be rewarded for the work that we've done. And the last piece I'd say this, keep your eyes fixed on the goal. It's very easy to get off track and get off mission if we forget where this whole thing is headed. Keep your eyes on Jesus and keep your eye on his mission that he's placed in your heart in this world. And by God's grace, we will be a community that continues to have a great impact for our king in this world. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you that you have called us to yourself, first of all. And Lord, I thank you that you have given us the ministry of reconciliation, the great news of the gospel. And I pray that we would be a community of people that genuinely love you, that genuinely serve you. And Lord, that would leave this place to bring more people to you. I thank you for the book of Romans. I thank you for the impact that it has had throughout the centuries. And I pray that it might continue in our hearts, in our lives, for your glory and our good. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great morning.